is up. My name is Bria Wanamaker. I'm a registered psychotherapist, a speaker, a personal trainer, and I'm obsessed with the mind-body connection and the effects that chronic stress, anxiety, depression, and our lifestyle patterns have on our mental and physical well-being. Through this podcast, it's my goal to help empower you with the knowledge, skills, and wisdom to fuel your body, mind, and soul. This is called the Better Bodies Podcast in an effort to help us learn how to have better bodies. And what that means to me is to have more energy, be less fatigued, exhausted, and burnt out, and to help us develop more love and connection toward ourselves and with others versus the old narrative of hustle and grind culture and building better bodies that are simply for aesthetic purposes. In this podcast, you can expect to hear some solo episodes from me, and I'll also bring on guests who will share their expertise and life experiences to help us participate fully in our daily lives. Welcome. Let's dive on in. What's up, y'all? And welcome back to another episode of the Better Bodies podcast. This episode is short and sweet, and it is full of my favorite tips uh, from different interviews that I pulled and compiled about body image and more so explaining the biological basis behind any sort of disordered eating and disordered relationship with exercise and our bodies that we might experience and how our thoughts are so powerful in relation to this and some practical tips on what to do if these are things that you struggle with on a daily basis. So I hope that you'll enjoy. Actually, I know that you'll enjoy because these interviews were fire. So I've gone back and you can listen to the full things. If you're interested, I'll link it in the show notes, the full uh, interviews from each different person. Uh, But these are some of my favorite clips. So yeah, I know that you'll enjoy this and let's dive in. You know, the other things uh, is just uh, it's easier, you know, when you're younger, when you're when you're in your early twenties, the sort of movement compulsion, things like that, it's relatively easy to maintain. Actually, it's usually most of us around 25, 26 is when stuff starts to hurt and our bodies start to, due to the energy deficit, due to the compulsive movement, things start to hurt and our bodies can't keep up with it as much. And then when you're early early thirties, it really starts to kick in, and so. Unfortunately, again, when a lot of us are making those sorts of decisions in our early 20s, it feels easy to be running all day and doing the, all of the, the high exercise stuff. And so you're making career-based decisions based on that. But then in five, 10 years time, you'll be thinking, what was I thinking? Like, I need to now have some things that I can do that will have more longevity. But we don't think like that when we have an eating disorder. For sure. Yeah. Oh. Um, can you talk to me a little bit about the OCDED? Can yeah. you yeah, explain what the heck is that all about? So um, I do think that anything that evolves and even things that we look at and think of as mental health problems, if it has evolved, it probably has evolved because in certain circumstances and certain times throughout our evolution, it was actually a benefit to have that trait. And I believe that to be true of OCD. So for those, for for anyway, for the connection between eating disorders and OCD, if you look up again, the genetic work by Cynthia Bluick, I think that they say that the um, where um, anorexia lies is very close genetically to where OCD lies. And those of us that have developed 
eating disorders generally then develop OCD as well. Some people have OCD that is separate and that's like a comorbid. But for a lot of us that have OCD, when we have an eating disorder, when we recover from that eating disorder, the OCD goes away as well over time. And so I look at it from that sort of biological evolutionary point of view. And if you can imagine that a, um, that genetic component of an eating disorder is designed to be there when we are in a famine situation, it turns on when we go into energy deficit, it turns on when we are not, we are consistently not eating enough to meet our needs over a period of time. And then once that's turned on, when that has been present for a while, we start to develop these OCD traits. And then you've got to look at, well, actually, how is OCD a part of this? And if you think about if you're in a famine environment, it's a hostile environment where resources are scarce and people are fighting for resources enabled to be able to survive. It would actually behoove you in that sort of environment to be a bit OCD. Those of us that are a bit OCD would likely have survived better. We would have done better because we would have had that. I've got to do this every day. I've got to do that. It, it's, it's making you do the sort of basic things that you need to do in order to survive. And so I don't think it's an accident or a, a, just a coincidence at all that those of us that have long-term eating disorders also develop OCD. But what it starts to look like when you have a long-term eating disorder is this intense rigidity around routine. And I get up every day and I do the, my day this way. And I believe that why that develops is because your brain sort of is seeing, you know, you get up, you start to develop these little habits, these little things, and all of these things that we develop in some way, shape or form aid us in suppressing our body weight. Even if it's just keeping us busy, it's aiding us in suppressing our body weight by keeping us busy. So we're not thinking about food as much. And this makes us feel safer because we're afraid of weight gain. Weight gain feels like a threat. And so all these little things that we do work to help us suppress our body weight. And because it works, your brain's like, you should keep doing that because it works for you to live every single day in this way. Get up, do X, do um, Y, do Z. You know, you, you live your days like that. And then you get to the end of the day and you feel that you have successfully actually been able to suppress your body weight. And so you want to do the same thing the next day because you were successful. Mm -hmm. So that OCD from your brain's point of view, from that survival point of view is aiding you in being successful every day. And so that's why when you try and wake up and say, actually, brain, I'm going to not do X, your brain has a bit of a fit about that because it's like, no, no, you can't not do X because you won't be successful if you don't do X. We need to do X. And it doesn't like that idea. And so then we get completely stuck. And we actually, even if we want to, we feel like we can't change our routines and our habits and those things. We feel fearful about changing our routines and our habits and those things. And we start to feel very trapped by our routines and our habits and those things. And, but if we can just look at it, so it's just the sort of beauty and the genius of the brain. And you look at it from that evolutionary perspective, you can see how brilliant it is actually, and how it would have been an aid to survival in times of hostile environment, in times when there was famine, shortage of food and all of these other things. Um, but what it looks like now in our modern day is just getting very rigid, very OCD about the most bizarre things. A lot of the time it can seem like the smallest, weirdest little thing that you do. And it can be so small and so weird that you wouldn't even dare speak of it to anybody else because you kind of know it's very bizarre 
but you just feel like you've got to do it. And we all tend to have our own OCD, ED tendencies, rituals, habits, and things, but we also all tend to develop ones that are very similar. And But then when you look at it, well, why are all these similar? I'm talking about things like eating with a teaspoon, like, you know, a lot of people with eating disorders develop that one. It's a really common one. And it just makes sense, though. It's something that your brain, as smart as it is, has worked out like, oh, well, if I can get less food in my mouth at a time, then that's probably going to help me suppress my body weight and eat less and eat slower. Another one is eating very slowly. A lot of us develop that sort of thing. We very get very OCD about eating at a certain rate and not finishing our food before anybody else finishes their food. And all of these things are actually, your brain doesn't want to finish your food before anybody else finishes, because then you might be offered more, or you might be tempted that you want to eat more while you're waiting for the others to eat. And so all of these things in some way, shape or form, help us suppress our body weight. And they can be incredibly creative but then also at the same time, we all tend to come up with the same solutions because that's what it is. It's your brain problem solving. Your brain has this problem of I'm afraid of weight gain and I have to get through every day and I have to eat a certain amount of food to stop myself from dying. So how do I solve this problem of eating enough, but not eating too much? And then that's how why the brain puts all of these things in place to help us solve that problem. Oh, that's exhausting. Mm, it's constantly. Exhausting working to to fix a problem. And and that equation is exhausting. How do I eat enough, but not too much? We always feel like we're on this tightrope or this knife edge of, I have to eat exactly the same every day because otherwise I'm going to go one way or the other. And that's how we feel a lot of the time. And it is, as you said, absolutely exhausting. Yeah. There's such a, you know, we want to fit in our, our, sort of human nature is to be a part of a community, to have reliance on other people in order to survive. You know, this is things we learned in, in cave days. Like we needed a, a tribe around us to support us and provide different things. And so feeling rejected from that can make us, you know, in those days, it could potentially leave us in isolation and, and perishing. So it's really important and ingrained in us that we want to be accepted. And unfortunately, in this day and age, like there's so many opportunities to be accepted. Our brains don't realize that if we're rejected by one group, we can go find another. <laughs> yeah. And and there are certain people that are for us and certain people not for us and certain groups we may like and other groups we may not like. And that's okay. And that's the flow and it changes over time. But our bodies are so fearful of any of that rejection or difference. Um, and it takes a lot of mental uh, resilience to combat that, I think. Yeah. So can you talk a bit about that? Like, what did you learn through counseling and healing your relationship with food? And yeah, how did you develop that resilience? Resiliency? (laughs) Yeah, I think one of the biggest things, obviously, it was a lot of relearning a relationship with food. Um, I instead of seeing it as the enemy or this thing that I had to be very rigid with, um, this thing that could cause me suffering if I did eat too much of one thing or whatever, it was, okay, how can I fuel my body with things that make my body feel good Mm -hmm. um, instead of uncomfortable or sick or, you know, whatever. And that's even relating to does dairy do good things to my stomach um, that has nothing to do with weight necessarily. So reprogramming kind of all of that stuff and reshaping things to be like, well, what actually makes me feel good? Not what makes me thin. 
um, because what makes me thin might not be what makes me feel good or healthy for that matter. Um, And then it was a lot of reshaping the goal of what I thought I wanted my body to be. You know, a lot of the messaging I got was small, small, small. And I needed a lot of expanders um, to see that other body types were just as desirable. My own body type was just as desirable. Um, there's so many ranges and, and diversity of bodies and shapes and sizes and hips and butts and, you know, arms and legs and all of these things. And so really flooding my system with all of these different types of people and bodies and starting to honor that and be like, okay, let's stop looking at this one type that I've been fed my whole life and start to break it up into different types. Um, and also looking at what is the root here? You know, I wanted, I wanted a body that felt more socially acceptable. Okay. How can I make myself feel accepted right now? Because I'm chasing a feeling I'm actually not chasing the body type, right? Like if you get the perfect body, you probably want to lose another five pounds or you want to gain another five pounds of muscle or whatever it is. Like there's a forever change. So how do I chase the mindset and not the physical change? Um, and that's been really, really helpful. But for the most part, I try and just appreciate myself and, you know, like I don't know what I weigh. I haven't weighed myself since December. Um, I've decided in December, I decided the last time I weighed myself that it hurts my feelings to see a number that really means nothing. So I, I know my clothing size. Um, I know that today I feel bloated, um, but I am here, man. Yeah. <laughs> no. It's the time, right? So, um, but I don't know the number and I don't want to know the number anymore unless that number is a health concern. You know what I mean? Um, but it, in, unless I'm having to buy a whole new wardrobe because of, you know, it, my, my health patterns. So, yeah. Well, the one thing, I guess my last tip is that knowing, because really all of this comes to our thoughts, it all comes down to our thoughts. So I do mindset coaching with my clients as well. And the biggest thing Mm -hmm. to remember is that your thoughts are not true. We automatically think a thought and we think that this is true. So when you start self-sabotaging yourself or telling yourself you're not good enough, those thoughts are not true, but you're trying to find proof that those thoughts are true. So your thoughts create a feeling your feeling creates an action and your action creates a result. Mm-hmm. So if we can change the thoughts, we can change the result. And so obviously it's not that easy to just sit there and change your thoughts. There's a lot of work that has to be done. And I think a lot of it has to do with uncovering your limiting beliefs of what happened in your childhood and what you learned growing up. And yeah. once, once I do that with my clients, though, we can, we get to the root of the issue. We're like, ah, so that's where these thoughts are coming from. It's coming from something that happened when you were seven years old that your parents told you, and you've been holding on to that for your whole life. Yeah. And so it's learning how to like forgive yourself for that and then treat yourself with self-compassion and learn how to move on so that we can shift those thoughts so that you're feeling better about yourself. Um, that was the last piece of advice. I guess. Ah, and it's a juicy <laughs> one. That's honestly so perfect. And you're so right. I listened to, um, empower her podcast and the host 
uh, Keisha Fitzgerald, she says, um, you're not responsible for your first thought, like those automatic thoughts that pop up, but you are responsible for your second one. Like that's where you can take the action. (laughs) Oh, that is me every day. I feel like it's so funny. Cause like now that I am learning how to work through my thoughts, I will literally be sitting at the table, like having conversations in my own head. So I'll have this negative thought comes up. Then the other side is like, Hannah, no, that's not true. And so I'm like trying to like sort through all of these thoughts to find something that will stick that feels good. And it's just like, it is a work in progress and know that it's going to be frustrating at first. Cause that's the other thing I noticed with clients. They're like, well, I can't stop thinking this way. And they get so frustrated. And I'm like, you've been thinking this way for 50 years. It's not just going to like go away overnight. Like don't, if you get mad at yourself, that's just going to make it even worse. So just like, almost like be okay with feeling that way. Just be like, I know that this is a, this is a temporary feeling. I'm not going to feel like this forever. And I'm, you know, currently working on how to shift these thoughts, but right now it's just like not working for me and it's okay. Thank you so much for listening. If you love this podcast, you know, you're picking up what I'm putting down. It would mean the world to me if you gave it a rating, five-star rating on Apple Podcasts, because that helps other people get connected with the show and take in this information as well. And another great way that you can share uh, is by taking a screenshot of the episode on your phone, sharing it on social media, on your Instagram stories, and tag me in it so that we can get connected and and chat more about this. I would love to hear your feedback and to see if there's any information that you want to know more about or guests that you think would be great to hear from on the show. So as always, fuel up my loves and we will chat again soon. Bye.